you're in Seattle, Seattle. And you need to buy yourself a home. We'll be right there for you. Because we're the realtors that you can trust. So go to rodandbouncedown.com. Hey, it's GeForce O'Neill. Thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. Hey, you guys. What's going on? Welcome to episode 512 now of the Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network. And yes, we are live from the Les Schwab Studios. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Don't forget, if you need a loan, Mitch.loans, right? If you need a refi or you're getting ready to buy a home, first-time home buyers, or... Maybe you're getting ready to buy your second home, vacation home, investment property, Mitch Not Loans. And don't forget those guys, Ron and Don, great real estate agents, broadcasters, friends, if you need them. You need to sit down with them virtually, just go to ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, are we suffering in this country from an empath gap? Also, American Christianity. Looks like it needs a revival, you guys. But someone says there's a revival going on in Kentucky right now. Anyway, before we get to that, let's get to this. Cops leaving Seattle with no backup. Well, on an article just out that said, yeah, you know, since 2020, 515 Seattle cops have left the force. I'm telling you right now, that's an inaccurate number. It's hundreds more than 515. And they said they've only been able to hire, I think, 175. I'm going to tell you right now, the 12th largest city in America, we have about 500 street cops that are available in Seattle, Washington. I think one of the real issues that we're having right now is we just appointed a chief that is horrific. He's horrible, but he's a yes man to the mayor, but he's a no man when it comes to working for him. The rank and file don't like him. They hate him. They're not inspired by him. And nobody is signing up to be a cop here in Seattle. And I'm telling you, right, this is not unique. I was just talking to a friend today. It's Mardi Gras in New Orleans. There are certain parade routes that have been closed down, certain parades that aren't rolling this year. Typically, there's over 212 parades that roll. It's well under 150 because they don't have enough cops for security down in New Orleans, Louisiana. So, Ron, this isn't a Seattle problem, a New Orleans problem. It is really a problem that we have throughout the country right now. The Black Lives Matter movement, along with defunding the police, that was a real issue. Communities, some did defund. Cops did quit. They felt disrespected and they walked away. And uh, as a result of that, also when we see some of these police shootings, some of the training out there, that's horrific because it's not uniform. I mean, who really wants to be a cop anywhere in America right now? Although... We need cops right now more than ever, right? I'm curious because when I read this is a Danny Westneed piece, and he points out the statistics that you just said. Uh, and I'm curious if you think that for millennials, like if you think about people that would be entering the force, most of the time that's going to be either someone that served in the military is a big chunk of people. So you're maybe you know, somewhere in your mid to late 20s, sometimes maybe if you did 10 years in the military, you might be early 30s, and then you're going to transition into law enforcement. It could be someone that came out of high school or college that wanted to go straight into law enforcement that because of a family member or this was just the line of work that they had. Most places, though, it, it depends on the agency. Most agents agencies, though, you need a two-year or four-year degree. Right. Uh, so down in New coming, Orleans, you know. So. Coming out of community college or regular college. So I'm saying most of... Uh, you said coming out of high school, which is very different. Okay, so most 
I'm just saying I'm trying to put a, a, a frame around the type of people they're recruiting. You're recruiting predominantly people in their 20s and 30s. Do you think that there is a sea change among just that population of people where like maybe we need to rethink policing altogether? Sure. This is what I would do in, in the same way that we had police. The, the when, when we're thinking about policing, right? and we think about the military, it used to be that a lot of people would join the military, but they'd never go to war. If you join the military, you've been to war. If you join the military, you've been to war many times. You've been to war in Iraq and Afghanistan, and you come back and you have PTSD, and now we're going to make you a cop? Uh Uh-uh. No. 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 Not with someone that has PTSD that's going to have to relive this all over again. So there's lots of that. You know, it used to be when you when you look at state the state patrol, the state patrols are military organizations, right? They're paramilitary. Uh, if you look at the way that they train, it's all paramilitary. And I don't, to your point, I don't see a lot of young people today that want to join a paramilitary organization, right? And then you look at the way that cops are being treated. You look at the things that we've we are expecting cops to do. Uh, it's too much. The job is too much. So we need to do a number of things. Number one, we need to have uniform policing, uniform policing across America. So the same cop in New Orleans and Kentucky and New York and Seattle and, and Kennewick, they get the same training and they have to pass the same test. Number two is we have to make sure that we're not sending someone with a badge and a gun to always go deal with someone that's mentally ill because that becomes a trigger. And we have there's too many programs out there now in places like New Jersey and Denver, even Austin, where we see uh, those communities developing first responders that don't have badges and guns. They have T-shirts. They're in vans. Uh, they have food. They have clothing. They have help. They have services. And a lot of times... They've been called out these these places so many times that they're familiar. When Ron and I went out in the love vans here in Seattle, the four love vans at the Union Gospel Mission, they know everybody. Those are the people that you want responding to someone that's in distress. And you also want them to have the ability to have a radio pick up, call a cop, and the cop comes. And that's what's really been happening in a lot of these pilot programs. And then the, and, and then the other thing is this. The other thing is this that we have to think about. Asking young people when they get out of high school, Instead of going to get your four-year degree, uh, instead of immediately deciding that I'm going to start working on my 30-year future, why not say, hey, would you join AmeriCorps? And within AmeriCorps, you could be part of policing. Within AmeriCorps, you could become part of maybe joining uh, the STARS program, for instance, in Denver. Where now you're like, yeah, I'm not really comfortable with a badge and a gun, but I am comfortable going out and connecting and helping people. Uh, That's where I think policing needs to go. And I think we need to humble ourselves a little bit. And as a society, really ask young people as they're coming out of high school, hey, would you give us two years? Would you give us three years? And then for some of them, they may decide that that's a profession that they want to do for the rest of their lives. And for other people, they'll just get on with the rest of their lives. I love what a guy said the other day. He goes, my life is going to be so much longer than yours. And I said, why is that? Because he says, I don't see a day as 24-7 and, and, or, or as a 24-hour. He explained where the 24-hour day came from. And he looks at, he breaks a day up into three parts. He, he crams up three days uh, into one day. Well, Well, I think it's the same thing when it comes to 
aspects and areas of our lives, I think most people want to live a life of service. Most people want to give back. We found that out in a lot of cause radio that we do, but most people just don't know how to do it or they haven't been educated and they don't have the training. That's what needs to happen here. Uniformity and then also really asking people in the same way that Bill Clinton did. He asked young people, would you become part of AmeriCorps and help put uh, communities back together again? When you watch AmeriCorps, and I've watched them here in Seattle, and I've joined groups down in New Orleans after hurricanes, you're down there watching 19 and 20-year-old kids Right, that I consider kids. Uh, you know, I saw I, I saw a whole crew of girls down there that were 18, 19 years old, and they were just down there framing a wall and rebuilding the house uh, down in the Holly Grove. So I think we need to look at that differently, and then I think we need to educate. We need to educate uh, ourselves differently. Your thoughts? I just think that the city of Seattle needs to do something quickly. Uh, in addition to the systemic things that you said, because that is a bad trend. Uh, and business owners, property owners, people are tired of it. And uh, I, I don't know if you can turn it around quickly, but but they need to take some steps well, to reassure people in Seattle that like your Chief business. Diaz, Chief, Chief Diaz was not the answer. He is not the answer. Are you inspired by him? I am not inspired by him, but I, I know there's a lot of frustration building up of like people need to know their business is safe, their car, they can park it somewhere. No, people aren't going to break into their house and that there is someone that's going to respond when needed. Yeah. Someone needs to respond when needed. So anyway, I, I called the other day. I called 911 uh, for something that was happening in my neighborhood. And they sent me to the non-emergency line twice. And nobody answers the non-emergency line. So finally I called a cop friend. They're like, nobody's manning the non-emergency line. Are you kidding me? So finally I called 911 back a third time. And I said, hey, this is kind of serious. And then uh, they finally sent Officer Stevens out. So I got to meet him. And Officer Stevens actually uh, helped him at a real estate deal last year. So it's good to see him. Hey, you guys, uh, we will see you on the other side of this. Hey, you guys, money, 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 money. Let's talk about money. And let's talk about real estate agents, big brokerages, small brokerages, and commissions. Money, money, money. Guess who doesn't want to talk about it? Yeah. Sometimes your real estate agent that took all your money is in a Cancun right now. <laughs> or a real estate agent that I know that just made $60,000 and he went out and bought a play. Ron, it is pretty incredible that brokerages, real estate agents, they don't want to talk about commissions. And guess what? We do. Because when it comes to commissions, everybody should make sure, whether you use us or somebody else, that you negotiate that commission. That right there is non-negotiable. It is non-negotiable. And there have just been some huge changes in how this all works in Washington State. Uh, the lawyers all got together. They have rewritten all of the rules around this, all of the forms, all of the disclosures. And it is radically different than even six months ago on how we disclose who gets paid, how you get informed about who and what and how everybody gets paid. Don and I would like to do that journey with you, let you know with full transparency so you can trust exactly what is happening in your real yeah, estate. Yeah, we're journey. always going to talk about the commission. And I will also say this. Sometimes you guys are paying too much. Sometimes you're not paying enough, right? If you want me to do all the work to your house, you're going to have to pay me. You want to do all the work and we're just selling your house? Yeah, let's pay you, all right? Find out more at ronanddonsitdown.com. Let's talk commissions at ronanddonsitdown.com. 
and make sure even if you're using another agent one of the first things you should be talking about is the things that people don't want to talk about and that's your money 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 and now back to the ron and don show all right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget, if you need us, ronanddonsitdown.com. And uh, I really appreciate all the people that have been calling who maybe have lost a parent, uh, that have listened to us for years and they trust us. We are dealing a lot uh, with a lot of states right now, a lot of trust, and we just thank you for trusting us. Uh, that means a lot to us. Uh, dealing with someone that just lost a partner, and she's like, it's time for me to rehome, but I have all these memories. What do I do? And it seems to be kind of a common theme that's coming up in our business. So thank you for that. We are here for you. We're here for your parents. We're here for your families. And uh, and a lot of people, as they get older, they have reverse mortgages on homes too. And sometimes those can be really difficult to disconnect from. Ron is an expert at that, you guys. Uh, and uh, we're dealing with some of those right now. If you need us, Ron and Don, sit down.com. We can virtually sit down with you and yours today. An empath gap, Ron. Are we missing an empath gap right now? What's going on here? Uh, there, this was fascinating to me. They just did a, uh, a nationwide survey, and they, they found, especially young girls and uh, women, you know, early adults with females, they have, there's never been a greater time where they felt uh, despondent, discouraged, uh, it's not really depressed. It's just a uh, a despondency about life, a disconnectedness about life, and they are are trying to figure out what is going on. Uh, part of this, they think, is the social media effect of seeing everyone else's curated life, feeling like you don't um, respond, like you don't fit in, you're not good enough. Uh, the beauty standards, of course around women, but this is, this is now an epidemic in America. I think coming through what your son had to go through of, of, of missing out on a lot of life events because of the pandemic. A lot of people missed out on graduations. They missed out on proms. They missed out on homecomings and they're spending their life looking at a screen. So there's this despondency happening and filling around that in a sense is this cancel culture this uh, us versus them mentality that we see in a lot of parts in a lot of uh, parts of society where we're going to play gotcha against the other guy, whatever the other team is, whether it's a political team or an ethnic team or a racial team or whatever it is, uh, you feel like, Oh my, my I'm going to get it over on the other side. And that somehow makes you feel good with your tribe. And so this article is saying, Hey, how about we ramp up the empathy? How about we try to fill this void with empathy instead of saying, ha, I gotcha, or I'm going to cancel you, or let me punish you for, uh, you know, the dumbest thing you've ever done instead of celebrating the 900 great things that you've done. Um, finding a bit of empathy in this world. And they, and they sort of break it down, especially even with doctors and saying, you have to train people for this. You have to give people skills to spot this when it's going on and to be empathetic. And what you just said about, you know, helping some clients uh, that are going through big life changes, I think one of the things that, that you're really good at, uh, and I think people respond to it, is having empathy. Going out there and saying, don't, you don't have to clean your house. Do not be embarrassed. I'm going to come in there and I have empathy for where you're at right now. What you've gone through is hard. 
losing a partner is hard. Uh, you know, having someone die is hard. Figuring out that this place I've lived for 30 years and now I'm not going to live here anymore, that is hard. And so, you know, having uh, your partner die and then the way your kids respond to that, and maybe not always great, that is hard. So just having some empathy there and sitting with people and saying, let me, so uh, someone was talking to me the other day and they said, I noticed you were talking to that person. They said a bunch of things and you didn't respond. And I said, yeah, cause they didn't ask for a question. They just wanted to tell me something. You know what I mean? So they, they went on, it actually was about Dory Monson. They went on and on and on about Dory Monson and they never actually answered a question or asked a question. They just wanted to tell me what they thought about Dory and about Dory passing away. And they, they were like, yeah, you're right. They didn't ask you a question. So I was like, I just let them say their thing. You gave them what they needed. You gave yeah, them they you wanted gave. to say something and I allowed them to say it. Allowed to say it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think because our politics has become a blood sport game, I'm hoping as we go through this next cycle that it's not a blood sport. I hope it's boring because politics should be boring. Policy is boring. It should move very slowly. And I start looking at some of the people that we have elected on both sides of the aisle, specifically to Congress. And these are people that are completely unqualified, but they have watched other politicians get away with stuff. And they have watched them bury people. You know, Jeb Bush is a guy that had a lot of empathy. It's a guy that had a lot of empathy for the Hispanic community. He's married to someone that's Hispanic. He learned the language, lived in Texas, and lived in Florida, and did a lot of work around that, right? But we never got to see that aspect of Jeb Bush because he got pile-driven in an arena where... Cruelty and, is and, celebrated. And, and this is a Republican, right? I'm, t- I'm talking about a Republican. He gets pounded. Little Marco Rubio. It, it comes out and and really tries to run on the merits of things that were happening in Florida and his district, especially with the Cuban people. Want to tell his story, his backstory, uh, and I think he's actually a very gifted politician. But then the next thing you know, he gets in the arena with everybody else, and and he's making fun of people's hands and their feet, and we all know what that means. And and so I'm just I'm just as we head into the spring, right? By the time we get to June, we're going to know who's going to be standing on that Republican stage. And last time it was 17 candidates. And I have to say, uh, a lot of us tuned in because we wanted to watch them mow each other down. Politicians, as I always say, create problems. Some of those problems don't even exist. They create division, and they like a lot of division because then they become the answer to the division and the problem. They're the bridge over troubled waters. They're the only one that can fix it. I heard one politician saying today that he's going to bring back firing squads. He's going to bring back law and order. You were already president for four years, and that's when the Black Lives Matter movement moved. There was no, there wasn't a lot, a lot of law, law and order here in Seattle, and you were the president of the United States. So to make America great again, does it take four years, eight years? Do you need just eight years and then it's great? I don't know. But but no matter what side of the aisle that you're on, if you really talk to your neighbor, if you really, you know, 
if we stop bashing each other on social media and we actually get face to face and have conversations, I think that's where the empathy comes from. It doesn't come when we're in our own silos or on our own social media channels and filling our heads with uh, stuff that our favorite politician has said. So you know what I make sure I do every week? I turn on Fox News because there's a lot on there I don't get, I don't understand, I don't necessarily agree with, so I watch it. Same with MSNBC. I'll turn it on, not all day, all night, but I'll turn it on just to be, and and I'll flip through them because I want to see what CNN, MSNBC, and Fox, what they're saying about a subject. And I'm telling you, all those platforms create such division too. So sometimes the best thing that we can do, and especially for our parents, because our parents sit around, they watch all this stuff. Uh, I, I, know, I know someone's mom right now that believes that the Japanese invaded America last week in balloons and that we're, we're being invaded right now. So that's a lot, you guys. We'll see you on the other side of this. Hey, Mitch Weeks joins us here from Mitch.Loans, the sponsor of the show. Mitch, we just did a deal for a client, and you've talked about in other spots a 3-2-1 buy-down. He didn't do that, but he's still got a lower rate than the published rate. How did that work? Yeah, you can do something called paying points, where you actually pay a certain percentage of your loan, usually less than a percent of your loan. It's not that big a number, but he got the sellers to pay it, and that was great negotiating by both of you. And so the sellers gave him a chunk of money up front that bought down his rate. Market rates now in about the 7% range, and they used you know $15,000 to buy down their rate to a 6%. So for the whole life of this 30-year loan, he hmm. gets to pay his loan as if Rates were a 6% when he bought, even though they were a 7 If it drops down lower than that, he can refinance. He absolutely can. He can get out of that loan at any time. There's no prepayment penalty on any of our loans. You can refi, pay it all off if you win the lotto, or just start paying more. And there's an advantage to doing that. And we can talk about that with you, too. All right. So we have a bunch of different strategies to finance a purchase right now. Uh, You can check out Mitch's website at Mitch.loans. That's Mitch.loans. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Uh, final segment, uh, let's talk about America, Christianity, and it needing a revival. Some people say there's a revival going on right now as we speak in Kentucky. They said that there was, uh, in fact, I saw some pictures of it today. A friend sent me, and a couple kids got together. They're having a Bible study, and they said, hey, six days later, uh, this church is now packed. It's packed with young people. They're repenting, and this could be a revival now that spreads across America. A lot of revivals were started by televangelists, and I think a lot of revivals were killed by televangelists as well. Uh, Ron, what say you about a revival in America of Christianity? Is it it's something that America needs right now? Is it certainly is becoming more secular? And we just got done talking about a lack of empathy, and certainly if you believe in the Christian message, the old Bible, not a lot of empathy there. God wiped out a lot of people. But in the New Testament, the New Agreement, the New Covenant— God is supposed to be a little kinder, gentler, and uh, what say you? I know this this article that you had sent me on this was from the Atlantic, which means it's you know forty thousand word article, <laughs> uh, and it starts with this guy moving to New York and noticing that all these church buildings are are being sold off and changed changed into clubs or into restaurants or into residences or or whatever. That there's just dozens and dozens and dozens of churches that have gone away because they can no longer. 
afford to be a church because of the dwindling attendance. And, and his, his theory was that like, is there a way that the church and for him, that means the Christian church to get back to being part of the community, being so essential to the community that it's just the, a thing that's embedded like it was, you know, maybe two generations ago. I don't, I personally don't see that coming. Um, I think that, you know, this culture war or whatever you want to describe it as happening in America um, has been difficult for traditional Christianity to digest. And let's take a very, to me, what is a very simple um, concept now that I've spent some time with it, but it was hard for me at first. Let's take just, just something simple as, um, you know, trans rights or the LGBTQ community. And so, yeah, when you first heard that uh, years and years ago, you're like, what are all these letters? What do they mean? What's going on? Why can't they people just be normal? And then after you actually meet someone that is trans or you interact with someone who is gay or you have a family member that comes out as gay, um, or, or you, you start to just walk a couple miles in someone's shoes and see the struggles that that provides. If you're in my opinion, an enlightened person, all you're like, wow, this whole thing I didn't get. And the reason why I didn't get it is because I'm a straight white male. So I never thought about this, never had to deal with it. I've just gone through life and living the way I live never thought about it. But now that I've been exposed to this, this makes a lot of sense that this is a hard thing to go through that if you are transgender or if you are attracted to the same sex, or if you are transgender and still attracted to the same sex, separating sexuality from gender and all of these things, when you don't view it through the lens of you're a sinner and you need to repent, but you view it through the lens of like, wow, you're another human being that's, that's, trying to find their way in the world the best way you can. You're doing your best. I'm doing my best. How can I assist you? How can I be someone that, that helps you make it easier on yourself or make it easier for your life? So you think it all pivots on sexuality and the way that people identify themselves? I'm just using that as one example. Like that's an issue that if you take religion out of it, mm -hmm. any religion, Muslim, Buddhist, Christianity, whatever. If you just view that as a human situation um, where it's a difficult thing to move through society uh, for all of us and more difficult for some, then there's no judgment there. There's no need to say you're wrong and I'm right. You need to change and I don't. You need to repent and I'm okay. There's no reason to put you in a box or to say you're other you have to get out. Um, why don't you fall in line? What's wrong with you? You need to repent. Um, when you take the religion out of there, you just go, hey, man, I struggle in the ways that I struggle. You struggle in the ways that you struggle. How can I be an advocate for you? I, I think that the current people that are coming of age now view the world more like that than in this no. binary thing of like, Good points. I'm right and you're wrong. Yep. Uh, how do you, how, how do you change to become more like me? Yeah. And I, those are all great points. I, th I think the hard thing is if you look at Christianity a couple thousand years ago, 
and then you look for that same Christianity in our culture, I don't see it, you guys, right? Jesus didn't have a PA, didn't have a podcast, didn't have a, didn't have a church on a corner, didn't have a $5 million building, didn't have a staff of 200. He didn't have, he didn't have any of that. And the message was pretty simple. And, and, and he would share his message and notice nobody else shared the message. Just he would kind of get up and share the message. And then he would go out and live the message, share the message, live the message. And what we're seeing on our street corners is we're seeing empty churches during the week for the most part. We're seeing tents and derelict RVs everywhere. We're seeing real needs in our society that most churches are doing nothing about. And if your church is doing something about it, I, I congratulate you because I know that there are churches and synagogues and communities out there that, hey, seven days a week, we're running a school here for uh, parents that, that can't afford to have kids in daycare. And we're doing like, like, I know that there's churches out there that are doing it. And that was really the early idea of the Catholic church, right? We don't, we don't want to just be a church with a fence. We want to be a church that's a force, not a fence, a force. We want to be a force. And what we're going to do is get very, very involved in our communities. They got too involved and then they started sleeping with little boys and we know what happened there. And then that all got covered up. So I, I really think the age of the televangelist killed everything. Uh, I think they raped and pillaged America. You see what it has done to people's bank accounts. And, and that, and that shiznit doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. The message is pretty, you don't have to go to church on You don't have to go to church. I don't go to church, but I, I still consider myself to be a spiritual person. Do I consider myself to be a Christian? My son and I are having conversations about that right now. Uh, cause he wants to have that conversation. And he wants to pray to Jesus every night. And we talk about why he likes to pray to Jesus and maybe why I don't always pray to Jesus. We, we have con- we're, we're having conversations. So the good thing is we're having conversations. But, but for him, he is an empath. For him, he does live a life of service. And, 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 and for me, that's really what the Christian message is about. So I don't see the American church anymore as a force. I see the American church, especially the evangelical church, as owning a lot of real estate. I was involved in three big mega churches uh, growing up. All those churches since then have been completely blown apart by sex scandals. And I could tell you one right now here in Seattle, and I could tell you all the sex scandals that happened in that church. And I won't do it because there are other people in there that weren't part of the sex scandals and they didn't do anything. And they were married to some of the people that caused these sex scandals. I'm surprised the Seattle Times has never done a story about it. Someone should call me. Uh, it's really an incredible a story of a, a, a church of 14,000 people, one of the fastest growing churches in America. And, all, and I'm just going to tell you right now, people that pray together like to fool. <laughs> Jeez. They do, man. There's <laughs> more sex going on in churches, especially like people that aren't married to each other. But, and, and then the judgment that comes from the same people. It's so stinking ironic. Just the, the judgment that comes from the people uh that engage in all this. It's it's really amazing to me. So anyway, hey, you guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Ron and Don Show. If you need us, Ron, we're sitting down with a lot of people right now. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Yeah, Ron at ronanddon.com. And uh, you can also find us at ronanddon.com. Uh, this would be a great time to jump in. Buyer or seller right now is the time to get in because I, I have a feeling that this market is going to be heating up again. Maybe not in the same way it was two years ago. We don't want it to. But it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be moving, yeah. uh, moving green. Buy a piece of real estate right now. Call me in 10 years. 
I bet you'll be a millionaire. I bet you will be. I did that about 10 years ago, and it made me a multi-millionaire. Buy it in a market like this right now. We can help. Ron and Don, sit down.com. In fact, uh, I just helped my dental hygienist. Uh, she and her husband just found a place down in Des Moines, and uh, they're moving in next week. Really cool, you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you need a loan, Mitch.loans. Also, if you need your real estate agents, that's Ron and myself. And don't forget to stop by Les Schwab. There's spring tire sales going on right now. And if you'd like to advertise on this show, we have, uh, I think we had three different people reach out to us that want to advertise. We'll let you know if it's a good fit. If we can make your phone ring, if we can affect your business, then let's do it. So let's have a sit down for that too. Just reach out. And if we can't, uh, we'll suggest some things that you can do. That would actually help your business, okay? So if you're going to come on and advertise with us, we don't have a ton of advertisers, and we don't want a ton because we really want our advertisers to stick out, but we also want to make sure that the podcast works for you. If you're interested in doing this, do what uh, three other people have done this week. Reach out to me, Don at ronanddon.com, or you can reach out to Ron, Ron at Don, uh, Ron at ronanddon.com, and we can meet today, okay? He's Ron Upshaw on social media. I'm Don O'Neill. Thanks for listening, you guys. Keep your head up, shoulders back, and don't forget, every Friday now, so this is coming out on Thursday, every Friday we have a real estate-only specific podcast. It's only one segment. It's about 10, 15 minutes. And I think you're going to learn a lot, and we're looking, and we're kind of blown away at how many people, even outside the Ron and Don Nation, and this is one of the most shared news talk podcasts in the country, we're really amazed at all the people that are listening to our real estate-only podcast. So that is every Friday, okay? And if you want to advertise on that, reach out to me as well. As I said, head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time. It's the Ron and Don Show. I'm like on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet and we'll see you next time. Only! 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 On the Ron Don Radio Network.